it is rare for me to make a theory and then so quickly be given all the evidence I could ever want to prove it. And yet that is what absolutely happened with my Laris Spy Master and Green Seer of the Weirwoods theory video. That theory by its nature is, you know, a bit speculative in that I didn't have any direct proof like Laris to sort of turns to the camera and says, I can see through the rats, or we see him using any of these powers like Brand does with his eyes rolling back into his head. Laris is so mysterious and secretive as a character that even if he was a green seer or skin changer, no one would really know anyway, especially not the writer of Fire and Blood, the notorious magical buzzkill Archmaester Gildane. Episode 5 and 6 though, oh, they are treasure troves for us Laris green seer enthusiasts, of which there used to be, you know, just one, and now there are many. Welcome you all. We are way past speculation, and we are going straight into theory confirmed territory. Laris Strong, the three-eyed rat and voice of the trees. Let's do this. First thing we need to talk about is a term from film editing. The different cuts used between scenes have names and purposes that they're chosen for. Some people, and by that I mean everyone who opens up Premiere Pro for the first time and adds every single transition of the default main to their videos, even magicians. Oh god, oh those page peels on my old videos. Sorry you guys. The cut we're going to talk about though is known as the J-Cut. Shout out to Folding Ideas for their video, Language of Editing, Basic Cuts for Educating All of Us About Film Editing. By all of us, I mean me. The J-Cut is what it's called when the audio track changes to the next sequence before the visuals do. J and J-Cut is a visual clue, as in how it looks in editing software where you have the audio cut in before the matching visuals, making just a cute little J in the timeline. Purpose of this cut can be varied. Sometimes it's so you can see a character react to words or sounds that are happening off screen, or to create continuity between two different scenes, linking them together for the viewer by having the audio start before the visuals catch up. Another use though is to imply something about what is on screen through juxtaposition of the audio underneath it. Like for instance, let's say you have the camera on a character's still face, and then using a J-cut, you use the sound of a baby crying from the next scene to come in early. This creates meaning in the expression on the face of the person, that maybe they're thinking about the baby, or they're also upset, they want to cry too, or maybe they don't care about it. And then when the scene changes and the baby shows up on the screen, you the viewer are now thinking about the character you just saw in relation to the baby. The two previously unconnected scenes now are in your mind by just a little J-cut. The House of the Dragon editors dropped a massive hint that Laris is a skin changer and possibly green seer in episodes 5 and 6, and both times they use a J-cut to do it. The first scene starts with an establishing shot of the weirwood face, the sap bleeding from its eyes. Note that some think when the weirwood eyes are quote unquote bleeding, this means that the weirwood tree is in use by a green seer somewhere. The scene then cuts to Alicent making eye contact with the face, clearly upset and her cheeks red from crying. Seemingly the tree is crying along with Alicent, feeling her grief over the loss of her father. Then, from somewhere off screen, we hear a voice begin speaking. Alicent hears it and then turns to face the source, however, the camera doesn't follow her gaze. Instead, the camera stays on Alicent, and on the left side of the screen, framed and in focus for you to look at is the weirwood face. That they haven't zoomed in on Alicent and put the face out of focus tells you it is important to what's going on. The show wants you to notice the weirwood conspicuously being shown next to Alicent. Notice it. Alicent then identifies the voice as Lord Lairs. However, instead of the camera switching to show him, it again stays on Alicent and the weirwood. What the show is doing here is taking advantage of the fact that the weirwoods do have a recognizable human face in them. The J-cut is suggesting that the voice is coming from the weirwood itself, as it's the only other human face on the screen that's not Allison. Okay, that's a bit weird, but as viewers of Game of Thrones, 
and savvy readers of A Song of Ice and Fire, we know that this is actually a thing that can happen. Bran Stark in the books and show is able to use the power of the Weirwoods to speak into the past specifically to his father, Ned Stark. In the show, he does it at the Tower of Joy, but in the books, he does it in Winterfell, talking straight out of the Weirwood. Lord Eddard Stark sat upon a rock beside the deep black pool in the godswood, pale roots of the heart tree twisting around him like an old man's gnarled arms. The great sword ice lay across Lord Eddard's lap, and he was cleaning the blade with an oilcloth. Winterfell, Bran whispered. His father looked up. Who's there? He asked, turning, and Bran, frightened, pulled away. His father and the black pool and the godswood faded and were gone, and he was back in the cavern, pale thick roots of his weirwood throne cradling his limbs as a mother does a child. How exactly does that work? Um, I don't know. Ask the guy in the suspenders and the Greek sailor's hat with the turtle pin on it. And then to drive home the point that there is a connection between Laris and the Weirwood, Allison then names the speaker as Lord Laris. However, the camera again doesn't cut to show Laris right away. Instead, the camera lingers on Allison and the Weirwood face, still clearly in frame and in focus, taking up the entire left-hand side of the shot. If this wasn't important, then the shot would be centered on Allison. They want you to look at it. Finally, after the pause, the editor letting the name and the weirwood face mix in your mind a little bit, there's a direct cut to Lord Laris, standing to the left of Allison next to a plant. The reason for the delay is that you notice it's not switching right away and you're kind of wondering why. Now the left side of the screen, which used to be the weirwood face, is replaced with the mild-mannered Laris Strong. The show further suggests the weirwood and Laris are one in how they maintain Allison as the visual anchor between both shots. She is on the right-hand side of the screen, addressing someone to her left. While Allison stays the same, the weirwood face then changes into Laris like some kind of tree-based anamorph. And almost as to make sure the audience makes the connection, Laris is positioned next to a plant with stunning red blooms that he claims is out of place. There's another plant that was just in the scene with stunning red foliage and is also out of place, the weirwood itself. Most of the weirwoods were cut down after the Andal invasion, and before that they were the chapels of the followers of the old gods. The Targaryens have never worshipped the Weirwoods, preferring to either worship their Valyrian dragon gods in secret or the faith of the Seven in public. The Weirwood here sticks out as an outsider in the Red Keep, a rare bloom as Lara says. By all rights, it shouldn't be thriving here, and yet the Weirwood does. Year after year in the godswood at the heart of the Dragon Lord's empire, nature, such mystery. Maybe not that much of a mystery if you're say Lara Strong you've been using the Weirwoods in the rats than the ravens to spy on everyone in the castle and beyond. This is what's known as visual storytelling. The show is letting their cuts juxtapose imagery and audio to create meaning in your mind that is not literally being told to you by dialogue or any particular character. There's not a sign behind Laris in the background pointing to him saying, hey, he's a green seer and he's using that weird face. Instead, the camera work and the edit are being leveraged to say that in a way that hints at the idea without just telling you. Also known as foreshadowing so that if or let's say when they eventually reveal that Laris is also a powerful green seer like Bloodraven and Bran, it won't feel out of nowhere. They've been slowly building this case in your mind and you can look back to these scenes and see all the clues that they left for you. By golly, the editors and showmakers aren't done with this trick. Part of my theory about Laris is that he is also a skin changer, meaning he's able to psychically take over the minds of animals to do his bidding. In Game of Thrones, Bran normally uses his direwolf 
Summer, a bunch of ravens, or his pet human Hodor. However, there's no restriction on what animal can be used. It's all up to the individual will of the skin changer trying to use the animal. Whether animal is both convenient and submissive enough for the skin changer's purpose is possible to be used. And that's where we get to these rats. I think that Laris is taking advantage of the rats and their ability to go everywhere to spy on everyone around him to account for his insanely accurate and detailed knowledge of almost everything that's happening in the Red Keep. All throughout the castle, we are seeing rats in very odd places at seemingly important times. For instance, one is hiding in Beleriand's skull when Rhaenyra runs out to her night of debauchery with Damon. Another is positioned above Viserys and Alicent's bed, looking down at Alicent while she stares at the ceiling. The next one shows up after the bloody wedding between Rhaenyra and Laenor, snacking on the blood and face, I guess, of Joffrey Lonmouth. But it's the one in episode 6 that is the most noticeable so far, and the one that I think they are using to more directly reveal Laris's methods. So there's two reasons for this. The first is how the rat acts in the scene, and then the reaction to it from Viserys and also the camera work. The rat seemingly comes from nowhere and scurries across the fireplace mantle in Viserys' bedroom while he's in there alone. As this happens, the movement distracts Viserys, who has basically been out to pasture this entire episode along with those two horses, and causes him to look at it in concern. Now, is it important that someone notices a rat? No. But it is important that a character in this TV show whose story this episode is how he notices nothing going on around him notices this rat. Like the weirwood face being kept in a frame while Allison names it Lord Laris, the show is encouraging you to wonder, why did they do this? What is this rat here for? Hmm, I wonder. Ponder the rat. And the second reason is that they use the exact same J-cut trick as the weirwood face with Laris. As the sequence begins, Laris begins speaking again somewhere off screen. And once again, as this happens, the camera focuses on something peculiar, the rat. It scurries along while Laris speaks, perfectly framed in the centerpiece of the shot. What's more, just like when Alicent seemingly talks to a weird face, Viserys' curious expression creates another meaning. The juxtaposition of his reaction, the rat, and Laris's dialogue makes you wonder, can Viserys actually hear Laris talking? Well, no, that's just silly. Viserys can't hear Laris speaking in an adorably squeaky rat voice. But it's again a moment of fantasy weirdness to get your imagination spinning. Oh yeah, didn't you hear once that the Children of the Forest once used ravens to carry messages that spoke to each other? And yeah, Mormont's raven was weird too. That bird definitely seemed like it knew way too much about what was going on. And that's what the show is doing with the editing and camera work in these two scenes. They want you to notice these things and then take the next step. They want you to jump. Use your imagination. Remember back to Bran Stark and the Three-Eyed Raven that they exist. How they use the Weirwoods to know things that they shouldn't either with perfect accuracy. How they used animals to do their bidding, including spying. How they seemed strange and kind of unknowable and they had these long-term goals that seemed insane until everything turned out the exact way they wanted. Wait, is Laris doing that same thing? Is he one of them? Maybe the rats are not randomly placed in these shots during these moments for ambiance or hinting towards something horrible that we cannot talk about, but book readers, you know what I'm saying? Good God, I don't want to see this. Maybe the rats were placed there like drones by someone to spy on the court. And then this all ties back into the dialogue being spoken during the J-cuts. 
Yes, what Laris is saying does matter as well because it's all working together in one package for you to understand. Laris starts by commenting on the plant growing next to him, the Malvales, native to Bravos, yet somehow thriving in this godswood. This is an overt compliment of Alicent, herself an outsider among the Targaryens, yet thriving anyway. Of course, Alicent feels alone and lost with Otto gone. The compliment is reassuring that Laris sees potential in her, that he doesn't think she will wilt and die without Otto there to support her. Naturally, Allison is a bit weirded out by this interest and by his comment and turns to go, which Laris then stops by mentioning what he knows is on her mind, Otto Hightower. Laris says it is a dark day for the realm, implying that he's on Otto's side, and then by extension, Allison's, which gets her attention. Laris goes even further and says that how Otto has fired his hand was an injustice, and the lore is set for Allison. Laris is offering up information that he shouldn't have. Forbidden knowledge from Laris the Weirwood Tree, tempting Allison to grasp for the fruit that he's offering. Allison is skeptical and asks Laris, How does he know this? But Laris expertly dodges her next question about how he does, claiming that he has never asked to speak, so he has learned to observe. Really, not an answer to that question. Yet, we know how Otto got dismissed. Rhaenyra made the bargain in Viserys' bedroom that she would marry Lenor if Viserys would fire Otto, and then Otto is fired as hand in the small council room. Here's the rub. Laris is not seen in either of those locations when the bargain is struck nor when the firing happens. That is a bit curious. Laris then offers himself as an ally, which Allison initially refuses, and Laris is forced to play his ace in the hole, Rhaenyra. He questions her value as an ally to Allison, which puts Allison on defensive and asks, what is he up to? Laris ignores that and instead says that Rhaenyra may be an unreliable ally, very slightly not directly attacking Rhaenyra's character, instead informing the queen that Rhaenyra is unwell. Like, you know, he's some kind of curious bystander who heard some odd gossip when Allison retorts that she knows nothing of a health problem with Rhaenyra, Laris pounces. He acts like he could be wrong, however he then rolls out the entire truth he wants the queen to see. The snake in the garden offering up the apple from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He reveals that he knows on the night Otto was fired, Viserys had Grandmaster Melos deliver tea to Rhaenyra discreetly. Laris plays dumb, assuming it's some kind of regular medicinal tea. Alicent realizes it's moon tea, which is commonly used in Westeros to prevent pregnancy or to end one, and her world shatters. The moon tea is because Rhaenyra had sex that night, sent by the king because he knows the truth of what happened, the truth that Allison had been trying to deny, that she swore to her king and father wasn't true, that Rhaenyra lied to her. The trip to Driftmark for king and princess is what Rhaenyra bargained to Viserys for Otto's job, urgency of the trip out of fear the moon tea wouldn't work, and that they needed to have a shotgun wedding before Rhaenyra shows signs of pregnancy. Pregnancy. Now, there's a lot of lawyering going on about what Rhaenyra actually swore to Allison from the Weirwood Tree, and while it is all true that the precise words that Rhaenyra said weren't totally a lie, it is clear that Allison took Rhaenyra to say that she was swearing that nothing happened at all that night with anyone. It's on her friend's word that she defended Rhaenyra to Viserys, and Otto used that moment of disloyalty to him as the reason he got fired, which of course isn't true. Otto's fate was sealed as soon as Rhaenyra came to bargain. 
Otto is emotionally blackmailing Allison to make her feel guilt for something that she had no part in. But here's the rub. Allison doesn't have to be 100% correct about the sequence of events for her pain and anger at Rhaenyra to be real and to feel just. Allison is then too flustered by what she just heard to really think through how and why Laris knows all of this. We are not Allison though, and we can ask the questions that Laris did not answer. How could he possibly know all of this and then know how to use it to manipulate Allison Hightower? Think of all the information that's actually embedded in that little bit of gossip that tore apart the royal court. Laris had to know that Rhaenyra went out that night, had sex with somebody, Viserys found out, believed it, then sent the moon tea to Rhaenyra, and then made a bargain with Rhaenyra to fire Otto for her marriage to Laenor. But more than that, the most important piece of information of all, that Allison was told a lie carefully massaged to seem like truth by Rhaenyra, and that Allison not only believed it, but defended it to Otto and Viserys. This is crucial because it goes from being idle court gossip to something that can possibly be used to break Allison's trust in this critical moment. Remember as well that Laris somehow knows exactly what happened like he watched episode 4, and we know for a fact he was not in any of those scenes. So how did Laris do it? The mundane answer is that he used spies and secret passages around the Red Keep to somehow maintain a spy network at court like Littlefinger and Varys did. We've been shown previously that there is a hidden alcove to listen into the small council room and that there's also a secret passage into Rhaenyra's bedroom. So Laris or one of his minions could have been listening to Otto getting fired, perhaps another outside of Rhaenyra's bedroom listening as the tea gets delivered. Who knows, maybe there's another hidden passage somewhere in Viserys' bedrooms that can be used as well. It's a bit of a stretch that Laris just happened to be in all of those spots despite his club foot at the exact right time, or that he had agents there ready to go, but okay, maybe. Maybe Laris is really just that good. Or, like Bloodraven and Bran, maybe he's too good, perhaps supernaturally good. And the reason for this is because of the argument between Rhaenyra and Allison in front of the Weirwood. We had a full view of that scene from beginning to end. They were out in the Godswood with no one anywhere nearby, and yet Laris somehow found out what Rhaenyra said to Allison, how Allison reacted, and that this was a conversation he could exploit if just a little bit more tea was dropped about it. If he could just puncture the trust shown here, Laris could break apart the friendship for good. Alas, if only he had been there, it would have been perfect. But of course, there was someone there watching that argument, someone that heard every word. The weirwood face is shown over and over while the princess and the queen argue. And again, that face isn't decoration. Those with the gifts of the children of the forest can use it at will like a wooden surveillance system. And as to explain how he learned about the bargain, also in episode 6, we get the answer on how Laris may have heard the going-ons in Viserys' bedroom for Rhaenyra's bargain. The rat that nonchalantly walks across the mantelpiece. A perfect spy that no one would suspect or notice sitting on the mantle listening to Rhaenyra and Viserys bicker over her future. This is where the dialogue merges back with the visual storytelling of these two scenes. The imagery and cuts are telling us that Laris is heavily associated with Weirwood's plants and rats, and by association linking him with Bran and Bloodraven. The dialogue is also asking you a question. How did Laris know all this? And the answer comes from those very same Weirwood's rats and the edit. When one is never invited to speak, one learns to observe, and Laris has been observing without speaking. Not just from hidey holes and secret passages in the Red Keep, but from the eyes of the trees and the ears of the rodents. The conclusion is that Laris is a skin changer and possibly a green seer, and that is how he knows these things that no one else does. And it's just two little simple J-cuts is how the show is introduced 
introducing the idea to the audience, waiting for you to catch on. Lairs' exchange with Allison as well is a classic move from Greenseers. They find the right moment to push and then change the course of destiny forever. Howland Reed seemingly did the same when he visited the Isle of Faces, communed with the Greenseers, and then set in motion the fall of House Targaryen by getting beaten up by some squires in front of Lyanna Stark. This moment right here is the same. Allison could have totally chosen to believe Rhaenyra and settled into a low-key life at court raising Viserys' children with no power, no allies, and wilting without Otto. Laris, though, is refusing to let that happen. Because of his actions here, Alicent resolves to do as her father said and fight for the High Towers and her children's right to the throne. She wears the green of her house entering the Great Hall, which of course, Laris notes smiling as he explains to the audience and his brother Harwin that the color of the flame on top of the high tower burns green when they're calling their banners for war. Hey guys, editing Joe here. Just a quick intrusion on the video of something that came out after I wrote and recorded this whole big thing. Matthew Needham, the actor for Lara Strong, gave an interview to Vulture, and in it he got asked the question about why does he kill his brother Harwin despite him looking out for him? And Matthew Needham's answer is a little interesting. He says, it's an interesting question, isn't it? This sounds really weird, but I think his views on nature are important. You can either see nature as harmony and things living in perfect balance with each other, or you can see elements of nature as being a succession of tiny murders. For something to grow, something has to die. That sort of thing. I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like the kind of thing a crazy greenseer, also probably an evil one, who thinks that the ends always justify the means, would probably say. The callback here is Bran in season 8. I know, I know, I'm going to talk about season 8 briefly, brace yourself. Bran did two things in that season that seemed small and insignificant at the time, and they turned into tsunamis afterwards. The first thing he did was giving the Valyrian steel dagger to Arya, claiming that he doesn't want it. This caused the Stark sisters to catch on to Littlefinger's games and eventually execute him for treason, as well as putting in Arya's hands the weapon that goes on to end the White Walkers. And the second was with Samwell Tarly. Bran told him the truth, just like Laris did here for a reason. Told Sam that Jon is actually a Targaryen by blood, the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark, and therefore Daenerys' relative. But then Bran waited for the exact right moment for when Sam should tell Jon, right after Samwell found out that Daenerys executed Dickon and Randall Tarly, counting on that Sam would push Jon to be king over Danny out of anger over his family's executions, starting a chain reaction that leads to her death. Death. These kind of small moments are exactly the kind of things green seers and those who can see through the weirwoods wait for. Those perfect moments when they know the truth, but more importantly, when that knowledge is the most valuable or destructive. Bran took out Littlefinger, armed Arya with the Valyrian steel dagger to kill the Night King, began Daenerys' downfall and his eventual ascension to the throne of Westeros with two truths whispered at the right time. And while those specific actions may not take place in the books, this style of manipulation by the children is exactly how they operate. Lara Strong just did the same thing to Alicent Hightower, breaking her apart from Rhaenyra at this crucial moment with a truth that he could not know if not for very generous screenwriting or the power of the Weirwoods. And I think we're asking all the wrong questions about Laris. It's not how Laris knows all these things. The question should be, why did he tell Alicent? Is he just trying to build a power base for himself at court among the Hightowers? 
Is he like Littlefinger and believes that chaos is a ladder? Is he trying to be on the right side of the coming war he sees coming? Maybe another second son trying to carve out a life for himself in the shadow of his father and brother? Or did Laris set in motion something much larger than himself? One thing to keep in mind as well is that the show largely depicted skin changers and green seers as good guys, making them mostly all Starks and fighting against the White Walkers. In the books, there is no such distinction. Much like a dragon, powers of green sight and skin changing have no morality or altruism attached to them. Anyone that has them can use them. Characters like Varamir Sixskins uses his gifts to routinely demand young women from villages he threatens. Brynden Rivers uses his powers to be a magical NSA over Westeros, committing horrific crimes and murders in the name of the greater good. Laris being evil and horrifying, you know, by killing his family, doesn't preclude him from having these powers powers. They don't have a conscience. In the long past, when the First Men were invading, the Children of the Forest were desperate to save their lives and their weirwoods, and they did something drastic. They gathered on the Isle of Faces and used all their magic to create the Hammer of Waters, a massive event that shattered the Arm of Dorne into the Stepstones. Some say it was an earthquake, some say a tidal wave. Whatever the truth was, their powers broke upon the land and completely stopped the migration from Essos to West and I'm wondering if Laris and perhaps the Children of the Forest through him just unleash another Hammer of Waters. Instead of targeting a land bridge, they may have sent a hammer at the Targaryen dynasty, the outsiders among the natives. Not a Hammer of Waters, but a Hammer of Tea, this time rather than shattering land. It's one little truth about a cup of tea whispered to the right person leading to war in the House of the Dragon. The relationship between the Targaryens and the Children is a very complicated story in history, and it's one I explored in this video about Aegon the Conqueror and his dream of united Westeros. And if that dream is real, or manipulation from the children of the forest in their weirwood thrones, and what that means for where this story is going. You can check that out here. I want to say thank you to my many lovely patrons for supporting me at patreon.com slash joe magician and i'll be streaming right after every episode of house of the dragon at 10 15 p.m easter time so come and join the fun thank you all for watching bye for now